0: Hello, hello. Welcome to session 141 of Selling the Couch. Hope uh, today's podcast finds you doing exceptionally well. Today's podcast topic is actually a topic that I've been thinking a lot about, both with STC and private practice, uh, which is how do you create a positive culture in private practice. I don't know, I was going to sound really dirty, but I'm just like very fascinated by, you know, the kind of unspoken things that go into into creating a sense of culture, right? So with STC, I think about like, what am I doing? And how am I serving? And what am I not doing? And all of those different things. And ultimately, like, what are my sort of my big vision or my big values uh, when it comes to STC. And I think the same thing with my private practice website. And as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking and I was like, you know what, Dr. Kay Campbell and Katie Lemieux from the private practice startup, they're two fantastic people who could totally talk about this and I reached out to them and they were so gracious to uh, to come on the podcast. Just to give you guys some context, they were actually hit by the hurricane and actually they'll mention it here on the podcast interview but ended up spending around a month, a little over a month just trying to recover and so I really am just so grateful for them despite weather events and all of those things getting in the way for them being willing to come on to talk about how we can all create a culture and how we can make, for example, hiring decisions, whether we are solo practitioners who are thinking about hiring someone like for billing or to help with website or social media management, or if we're a group practice and we're thinking about hiring additional staff and clinicians to our practice, how do we create a culture and then how do we make hires that align with that culture? So uh, this podcast conversation just has a lot of good information and I even get put on the hot seat a little bit and uh, they actually, uh, we talk about my private practice website and, or my private practice and how uh, some of the things that I should be thinking about when it comes to mission and vision and culture and all of those different things. So we'll get right to it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Kate Campbell and Katie Lemieux from the private practice startup.com. Hey, Kate and Katie, welcome to Selling the Couch.
1: Hey, Melvin. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here. (laughs) Hey, Melvin. Yes, we are delighted to be here today.
0: I feel like we've been trying to make this podcast conversation happen for a while, but I'm grateful despite weather events and hurricanes and all of those things, we've finally made this work. Absolutely. We are talking about, like, I feel like such an important topic, which is, you know, creating a positive culture in private practice. I know, for me, like, I don't often think about that. But I feel like it's so important, whether we're solo practitioners that maybe have outsourced certain things, all the way to if we have a group practice, right, and sort of the dynamics within the group and how the practice operates. I wanted to just start, I think, kind of basic and maybe broad, which is for you guys, how do you define culture in a private practice context?
1: Great question. And I'd like to start off with a quote from Peter Drucker. And he says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And (laughs) I love that quote, because one thing that actually most people don't know about me is that I grew up in community mental health. I started out when I was 22, I think, and I was going to grad school at the time. And early on, i Realized I didn't want to be out in the homes late at night, 8, nine, ten, and even sometimes 11 p.m. So I actually went into management. And I went into management. I was chosen to go into management not because I was a great leader but because I was a good worker. And unfortunately, a lot of times companies, unless they're corporate companies and actually train for leadership positions, promote people into management because they're good workers. So at the age of 26, I was in management and I had a team of, I think, 10 case managers at the time. And I really knew nothing about leadership. I didn't know how to manage. And I, I was actually very a micromanager. I didn't trust my staff. I didn't know how. So I'd spend late hours at the office. And over time, it really took my own interest in understanding a little bit more about leadership and company culture and really creating a culture in my programs. And as I developed, I had numerous positions and I kept getting promoted through the different programs at my job. And the last program I ran in the Community Mental Health Center, we were such a well-oiled machine. And I think by accident, I created a very specific culture, not really knowing the structure of culture then. But what had happened was, Is it became more than just a job? We had a lot of fun in my team. My team would actually play funny jokes on each other. My belief had always been, and we'll talk a little bit about beliefs as related to culture, is that I'm not here to teach and train you for this job. I'm here to teach and train you beyond. So, we would have our weekly meetings, but I would provide a lot of value to the team and have the team really participate in that, where we would not only talk about, obviously, things that were important to work, but what was important personally to each and every one of my staff. One of the things in our meetings that we would start was props shout out, right? So our team would shout out each other, acknowledging them for great things that they're doing or that they're really proud of. And that's the way we would start our meeting. And so we did so many different little things in regards to really building a culture. And what we find in... Business is that, you know, sometimes people think like people will stay in a job for a paycheck, but that's not the case, right? It's more about the relationships and the culture. People can really love their boss and not be paid as well as if they went to another company. But most often people are staying because of the company's values, the philosophies, the culture, what they're gaining as part of that team.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's some good stuff. That's a lot of just great information to, to unpack. So there were a couple of things you just said so well. You said when you first, and this is Katie, right?
1: This is Katie. Okay. You got it.
0: Awesome. I've learned to recognize you voices now. So. <laughs> good stuff. You said that you were a micromanager and I feel like a lot of us, when we're starting to, especially like delegate things, there's always that pull, right? Like, For me, for example, like, I'm always like, I don't know if everyone can do it exactly the way I do it, right? And so I did, like, initially with STC, even though I would hire out certain things, I would want to, like, go and, like, double check and just, or I had a hard time letting things go. For you, you struggled with being a micromanager, but how did you, I guess was it a transition? Like, was it slow or was it rapid? Like, how did you make that transition from being a micromanager to being like, you know what, I trust the people that that I'm leading?
1: You know, it's interesting. And I think I've done so much of my own personal and professional growth work, like many of your listeners, right? And so I think it was a natural transition and also being more in leadership roles. And for me, what I take away from school and education is the feedback loop, right? And I really look at this even today with our team members if she didn't do something the way that I had asked her to do it, I look at it as there was a fault in my communication, right? I didn't communicate clearly. I didn't give her the proper training or education. So what I do is I totally take it upon myself. So I think it's just been an interest of mine throughout the years, actually being in the experience of a leader, both educating myself, both personally and professionally and doing my own personal work um, in regards to team. And then also one of my passions is training, right? And Kate Mm -hmm. and I do a lot of trainings. And so really being able to understand what gets people motivated and excited and inspired and really you being the person that creates the energy of that, but also leaders, good leaders, take on the responsibility of their team.
0: Hmm. Meaning like, so I guess, I think I understand that in theory. So I guess what would that look like? I don't know. I'm almost thinking like, let's say that you're, it's a group practice owner that's listening, right? So how would that group practice owner take responsibility of their team?
1: I'm going to let Kate share a little bit about that because she does actually have a group practice and so she can talk about that experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So
1: I do have a group practice and we really
2: see culture as the essence of your brand and the essence of your business. It's comprised of the beliefs, the values, You know, it's really the character of your company, and it informs all actions, thoughts, behaviors, decisions that you make about your business. And I've been in organizations and companies and private practices and treatment centers in the past where they did not have a positive culture. And there were a lot of people struggling with burnout and had a negative attitude about work and weren't supported for the work they were doing. They were working too hard. They were overworked, underpaid, underappreciated. And I was just like allergic to that that. (laughs) So really allergic to that. And when I had first graduated with my master's, I always knew I wanted to be in private practice. And I always knew I wanted to have a group practice. So when I first graduated with my master's, and I experienced the negative culture that was out there, I just, you know, again, was allergic to that and dove headfirst into learning everything I could about private practice, and what it takes to have A culture that's collaborative and supportive and encouraging and not competitive. It's, you know, like really team based and just a really positive environment where you go to work and you feel like you're working with your family and it's. It's that healthy, positive environment that's inspiring and empowering and all of that. So in my group, I think we have 13 clinicians, 14 including myself now at this point in Fort Lauderdale, and private practice can be so isolative. So that's why I knew for me, I wanted to create a group practice where I could find other people who are really passionate about what they do and committed to the profession and wanted to be part of an empowering, encouraging, collaborative environment And it's become like a family in our private practice. And it's something that I'm very clear on what the company culture is for Bayview Therapeutic Services. And Anybody that I'm bringing on to our team or interviewing with, I review the company 11 Points of Culture that we have and talk about how the culture is important. Even with my assistant that we just brought on board a couple months ago, well, I guess it's, gosh, time has been flying, (laughs) yeah, I was actually in Starbucks during the hurricane interviewing potential assistants because my office had new power for two weeks hmm. and I found an assistant and she was commenting during our interview about the company culture and how that was something that stood out to her that was so unique and it really impressed me that she had done that research and was able to speak on that and we utilized that in the interview process and I've since brought her on board and she's a great fit. So when you're clear on your culture then you're able to select your team and the people that you want to be with, whether it's a group practice or even if you're a solo practitioner and you want to bring on a VA or a marketing team or people to help with your AdWords. You just want to make sure that people are in line with your culture. And if you don't create your culture, your clients will create it for you, regardless if you're a solo practitioner or a group practitioner. So you want to make sure that you're really clear on that.
0: I was thinking, you know, I guess the other side of that is if we're not defining what culture is and what's important to us, right? I was almost thinking like when it comes to hiring, I would think like, and I've definitely fell into this where you almost make, I guess not spontaneous hires, but there's always this bend to try to make a hire without quite a vision of where that person fits into the overall picture. Does that kind of make sense?
2: Yes, it does. You want to make sure that you're bringing on people that are going to be part of your team for the long haul. They're going to grow with your company. They're going to be in alignment with your company values, your vision, your mission, your culture, and all of that. Because if not, they're going to stand out like a sore thumb, and it's not going to be a good fit long term.
0: Right. Kate, you said that you have... uh... And eleven points of culture uh, that sounds really awesome and fascinating. And was that like how did you develop that? and would you mind just giving kind of a glimpse into what that looks like for your practice?
2: Yeah, of course. So this was inspired by some of the work that Katie had done in her trainings. I'll let Katie talk a little bit about that and I'll talk about how that inspired the company culture that I have at Bayview.
1: Yeah. So I, I did a year of, of business coaching and my coach really started us off with vision, mission and culture and really dove into the culture. And like I said, in my training in leadership and management is I created a culture without really being clear and having it kind of down. So we kind of did it a reverse process, right? We already had like culture. We understood what that, was. And then what we did is we walked through the process. And I know we're going to do a little bit of that later, but Kate will share with you some of her points of culture for Baby Therapeutics.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I'll just review the highlights mm-hmm. of the 11 points of culture. So that way you can hear as an example, what really our values are as a company, quality, commitment, integrity, communication, respect, collaboration, balance, contribution, growth and development, flexibility, and authenticity. Oh, we don't have the cowbell today.
1: Oh, wait, it's Melvin's podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. Do you guys have the cowbell?
2: (laughs) Yes, the authenticity cowbell. Ding 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 ding! ding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> actually, for folks that are listening, you guys might want to explain what the authenticity cowbell is, because I definitely know what it is. But would you mind explaining?
1: For sure. So when we first started podcasting, actually, we used the cowbell, I think, in one of our trainings as part of a game. And then Kate had had it in her by her desk. And it was interesting. Every podcast we did, the word authenticity kept coming up. And so anytime someone says authenticity now on our podcast is we ring the cowbell. So it's the authenticity cowbell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Part
1: of culture, right? Yes, exactly. Um, is creating the fun and stuff like that. It's interesting because I just worked on creating some private practice toolboxes yesterday and everyone's getting an authenticity cowbell signed awesome. by Kate and Katie. So that's part of our culture as well.
0: That's so awesome because I think it sounds like when you first hear it, you're like, what? But, <laughs> you know, I think it is like it's all of these subtle things that you do to make people feel included that ultimately I feel like matters at the end.
1: Exactly. And, and some of the things that's really important to incorporate is not only I know Kate talked about the beliefs and the values and things like that is but looking at it from the perspective of the leaders beliefs values, the team the customer or the client in our case, and the company, right? So we're incorporating all that is also asking ourselves, what is the client value? One of my rules of thumb in leadership is always doing more for your staff or employee because they're the one that's often delivering the service, Mm -hmm. right? To your direct client. So it's really important to take care of the people on your team, right? But also you want to know what your client values because that's really important as well because the end user, they're the one that we're serving. So it's really important to understand what's important to them And, you know, you can create culture in any type of population or ideal client that you have. You know, I just worked with a coachee and we just finished our coaching sessions and she's a trauma therapist working with young women and women, um, but utilizing art therapy. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can almost hear as she identifies that, like what is I can start to hear her culture kind of evolve just with that. Right. It's going to be this like fun, creative place. And if you're doing art therapy, you'd expect that her office is pretty artistic and fun and you're going to be doing things like that. And so that's she. going to be able to attract the type of client that she wants that values the art the fun the creative expression and things like that so it's really cool as you talk about culture because it's just so circular right it feeds Mm -hmm. in in itself it really does it's very comprehensive
0: as you guys are talking about this like i almost see this link between creating an ideal culture and like niching if that makes sense like creating a culture that you want for your practice ultimately ends up attracting the types of clients that we want to serve.
1: 100%. And when Kate and I talk about and teach culture, we always go to Google and Amazon. So most of the people have had experience with Google or know about a little bit about what it's like maybe to work there. I actually have a friend that works with Google, mm-hmm. for Google. And in Amazon, every time I have an issue, Amazon people are like, sure, just let me know, I'll refund that right away. It's almost like you don't even have to ask. And it, it just feels good. And culture should feel good for everybody and incorporate everybody.
0: Yeah, it's so funny. Actually, before the interview, not that I need glasses right now, because my glasses are (laughs) fine. But I was on, you know, the book that I'm reading this month is Originals by Adam Grant. And in the book, he talks about the founders of Warby Parker, the eyeglass company, right? So... And what's fascinating is I was on the website this morning and, you know, their big thing is, look, eyeglasses are expensive. We provide affordable eyeglasses. And what we want to do is, so you go through this entire quiz that I totally did the quiz, right? So and you get to pick five pairs or actually based on the quiz, they recommend something like, I don't know, 12 or 16 pairs, potential frames for you. Uh-huh. And they say, you know what? We'll mail you, pick any five that you think you like, we'll mail them to you, try them out and return all of them or keep the one you want and just return it back. Right. And I just thought, what an interesting like way of presenting. Right. And and I just thought there's so much applicability, like in terms of how we as clinicians think in terms of service and, you know, like, I don't know, it lessens the confusion. I don't know. It was just randomly uh, just came to my mind as you guys were thinking about that.
2: It's a really cool example,
1: though. For sure.
0: I wanted to transition a little bit before we talk more about Warby Parker. So, <laughs> I wanted to actually get really practical and, and just talk about how do we actually create culture in our practices. And I know that you guys have some cool exercises and tips and stuff like that. So let's uh, jump in. And I think I'm going to get put on the spot here. So
2: Yes. And, you know, Katie and I, we do a lot of training and teaching and coaching other mental health professionals to brand themselves and grow their dream private practices. And we walk them through exercises about how to get clear on their vision, their mission and their culture. And there's a big connection between all of them. And they're really important to be clear on this and have the brand clarity developed. So we would love to actually spontaneously walk you through our some different questions, not the whole full blown exercise because we don't have enough time to do that on the private pa- on, on the podcast. But we'd love to walk you through this. Are you up for it? Are you yeah. game?
0: Let's do it.
2: <laughs> okay, awesome.
1: So I, I guess we should get clear, though, because for you, Melvin, you have selling the couch and then you have your own practice. Is your practice also selling the couch? Or, no, it's separate, I would assume.
0: Yeah, no, it's two different things. And they're actually two different LLCs. So, but I think the challenge and and to be completely transparent is the challenge I'm running into is so, you know, I decided to niche in private practice to working with entrepreneurs, but there's so many other things that I enjoy doing beyond counseling, right? So, one thing I've even been thinking about is adding in the private practice website adding some sort of a consultation section for entrepreneurs, right? Like s- more specifically around like online business building, you know. Cool. So, yeah.
1: so, what business do you want us to focus on as we ask you these
0: questions? Let's do my private practice because I think, you know, yeah, I feel like that would be the most helpful for listeners, so
1: Awesome. So we like to ask anyone that we're walking through the vision, we ask you, what is your 100 year goal or the legacy you want to leave behind? So the vision is really supposed to be beyond ourselves for the time that we're here on earth. So when you think about your private practice and the entrepreneurs you want to inspire, what is the 100 year goal, Melvin, that you have?
0: That's a great one. So I think for me, I wanted to work with entrepreneurs because You know, having been on the entrepreneurial journey, I realize how difficult it is, you know, and everything that we see online is not necessarily we see glimpses of things online. Right. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to my thought was if these entrepreneurs are able to overcome some of the roadblocks they have in their life. Right. Whether it is the stuff, maybe trauma in childhood that impacts them as an entrepreneur, all the way to like just fears and insecurities and send things around self-worth. If I'm able to help them work through these, that they can build businesses and software and companies that can help others and do more good in the world. so
1: Right. And that's awesome because when we look at our vision most often, it starts with us and it's not really about us, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the impact that we leave for others to create better and make a difference in the world through their own special and unique talents, right? As we mm-hmm. use ourselves as the vessel to help them do their work. So that was, you stated it beautifully,
2: And we're huge fans of Simon Sinek Mm -hmm. and start with why his book is an awesome book. And we'll send the link to his TED talk video as well about why you do what you do. And essentially, that's what your vision is. It's the big picture. It's why you do what you do.
0: Yeah, no, I actually love that, that TED talk as well. I've probably listened to that TED talk, I don't know how many times. The interesting thing is, and I haven't done this for my private practice website, but for STC, on the homepage, there's a little section, it says, right at the top, it says, Hi, Melvin, I believe the world needs us more than ever. I help my colleagues think outside the box what it means to be a private practitioner. And then I go into a couple examples. That sentence structure was actually inspired by that TED talk.
1: That's awesome. We actually watched Simon's video numerous times as we mm. were creating our vision for our initial company. Mm. So we continue to listen. Exactly. That's awesome. I love it.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, like, I guess what I could do for my private practice website, though, in terms of that languaging. So,
1: well, I know we have limited time. Yeah. So we'll just jump down to All a right. mission question. So we start with vision and then we come into mission. Yeah. So a vision is why you do what you do.
2: Mm. The mission is the how. So it's really how you fulfill your vision so let's ask you a couple of questions here. Melvin, how would you say you fulfill your vision and your private practice?
0: Would this be like more like the services I offer? Or how, how? Yes, okay. you've got it.
2: Yes. Okay. Target market, your ideal clients, your services you provide, yeah. and what makes you different from your competition?
0: So I guess in terms of services, what I would do is I offer counseling, consultation and assessment services to entrepreneurs and leaders or, you know, like sort of influencers, maybe that's the better word.
1: Mm -hmm. Nice. And so one of the interesting things about the question about what makes you different from your competition, I remember when I was trying to do my mission, I was like, well, there's so many therapists and so many therapists do I do. And Mm -hmm. really, it's not anything that makes you so different. But it's kind of like what's unique about you. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you bring to the table, whether it's your personality, you know, your characters, your beliefs, like I was saying about my coachee. The one that we just finished is that the artistic stuff, right? So she works with a very specific population and that's different, right? If someone, her ideal client's looking for her and they love art, that would be different. So what makes you stand out from the others?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So I think one is, you know, I'm not just like a, a psychologist that decided to work with entrepreneurs, right? Like I actually launched a company and, you know, have done it and it's done well and it continues to grow, I feel like that's sort of a unique, so it's not, you know, when I, when, when they, when clients talk about things, like it's, I understand, you know, even though the, maybe the language is a little different, like I understand the grind of it. So I think personal experience would be one. I think two, would maybe this is kind of related, like, I sort of feel like I understand the subtle nuances of maybe what entrepreneurs struggle with on a day-to-day basis, right? And how they You know, often have to sort of manage multiple roles and responsibilities, right? Both within the company and outside of, you know, at home, for example. Am I on the right track with that? Because I actually feel like I'm struggling with this section a little bit. No, you're doing
1: fantastic and you're absolutely on the right track. I actually have a friend and colleague who actually played football for college and was drafted by the NFL so mm-hmm. he actually works with and does I think the NFL is required to do like stress management or certain talks so he actually yeah. goes in and does those talks and you're right so what positions him as different is that he walks the walk he knows the mm-hmm. experience and for you it's not and you're not just a solo practitioner right like you're in the world of entrepreneur and what's that what that is like so that totally makes you different than the others and would mm-hmm. probably draw someone to you who really wants someone to know hey you know what it's like here and Trenches because let's face it, being an entrepreneur, you're in the trenches
0: <laughs> all the time.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, all the time. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, what we we'll
1: do after we talk about mission is we uh, invite our coaches to walk themselves through one of our assessments, the brand values assessments, which we're going to give away to your listeners today. And that really just helps them. It's a very intuitive process and it's just words. Um, And what they do is they just kind of feel through the words and really identify the seven things that are most important to them Mm -hmm. and that they think that are most important to their clients. So we would do that. And then after doing your vision, your mission, your brand values, is that stuff all then informs the culture. And then we walk them through again, what are the values of the leader, the team, the customer or client and company walking through the character, the beliefs, the values, informing actions, behaviors, and thoughts. So I know it's, it's interesting because when I walk coaches through this process, and obviously this is where we start, they feel like it's so like they're kind of not, not so out there, but it's kind of like out there. They totally get the picture. But as we begin to, you know, make the, the funnel more clear and we lead them more into their ideal client, they totally get why we walk them through this process. And then it all kind of clicks and makes sense. And it's cool because once you identify your vision, your mission, your culture, your brand values, your ideal client, marketing then becomes like so much easier, right? And then it's just finding the platforms or strategies that not only work for you, but also where your ideal clients are. So I hope that was helpful as we talked about culture. I mean, it's definitely one of the things that we love and are passionate about and appreciate you asking us to chat about that.
0: No, no, it was super helpful. I mean, even I was just thinking about that last point you made. So I feel like I've done this. I feel like I see colleagues doing this, which is they start with a platform and then they try to figure out where their ideal clients are or how to speak to their ideal clients in a, through that platform. Whereas I think what you guys are saying is create the mission, the brand, the values, and then identify the platform because you already then have a foundation. It's almost like, I don't know, like trying to build the fifth floor of a building when you don't have floors one through four built. Right.
1: And this is interesting because, you know, again, to be transparent earlier this year, Kate and I had kind of like this place in our business where stuff wasn't working. And I was like, no, we need to be streamlined. We're not delivering exactly what our clients need. And we found that there is a huge missing is that therapists often know like, okay, like I got my website, I got my office, now I need to market. And they miss this huge in between, which is not only the vision, mission culture, but the ideal client understanding their external, internal, philosophical pain points, then creating marketing messages that helps them then decide on the platform. So we're super passionate about that. And we've actually been doing some beta testing with our coaches, and we're going to be releasing an e-course to walk clinicians through this. Because what happens in the marketing messages after they create all these things is then it goes on their website and their therapy directories. And then it becomes so much easier to market because they know exactly what to say. So they take that. To whatever platform. And you're right, it's it is like building, it's like knowing I need marketing, but not getting clear on floors one, two, three, and four, and just trying to go to the floor five and it just doesn't work. Why? Because we've experienced that ourselves, right? We've done a ton wrong. We've learned um, the
2: hard way over the past totally. decade, right? <laughs> and
1: obviously got our acts together and invested a lot in ourselves and education and marketing. And we're just super passionate about that aspect of really helping clinicians because it's it's an animal and it's a big struggle. And we've found a way to help. Help clinicians really understand the process more simply, and where they can actually grasp that and feel good about what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for that course, because I agree with you. I think that is a skill that many of us are missing. And I think at a practical level, what that often means is, you know, we end up spending a lot of time maybe that we don't have and money you know, into things that don't necessarily, or we come to find out, I guess, painfully later that don't necessarily align with our practice and sort of our vision, our, our vision and uh, and what we want.
2: Yeah, Katie and I joke about it, we call it throwing spaghetti, where mm-hmm. you're throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And then <laughs> it's just, it's such a long, arduous process of trying to figure out what is it that works. Mm-hmm. And you know, we learned the hard way, we know what that's like. And that's why we're so passionate about helping private practitioners build that solid foundation for themselves. So they can be in the place of having the marketing messages that are attracting their
1: ideal clients, and they don't have to learn the hard ways too. so right. Yeah, exactly. And it all starts with that vision, mission and culture.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I wanted to ask you guys a final question before uh, we wrap up. And I feel like this is a question or this is a struggle that you know, many of us have, which is sometimes being in the throes of a practice, right? Between like seeing clients and billing and networking and marketing, it's really like easy to forget about culture. And even, you know, I've personally been in situations where there can even be like a negative culture in a practice, right? Practically, this could mean things like the staff just, you know, like either You or the staff just don't put out their full effort, they seem unhappy, they don't want to do anything beyond the the minimum. In a situation like that, I feel like this could be an entire episode, so I apologize that I'm going to ask you this as the last question, but how do you turn things around?
1: So I'm glad that you said it could be an entire episode because I was just thinking in my mind as you're asking the question, how am I going to simplify my answer? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I think simply is if that is your situation and you don't have culture as you really need to sit down and walk yourself through vision mission culture, Mm -hmm. once you create that is really getting clear because the cool thing about culture is once you have it as your guideline, it's documented, it's either on your website or it's somewhere that you can always refer back to. It's kind of like policies and procedures, but those are like boring type Mm -hmm. of analytical things that think people need but the culture is obviously a lot different and so what you'll find is number one I would say as a manager and leader is There's a lot of top-down mentality, right? It's kind of like, well, I said do this, or this is what needs to be done. But really, number one, investing in your employees, sitting down with them, talking with them. What do they seem to be the problems? Because there could be a lot of systemic issues, right? Because if your virtual assistant or your marketing person, maybe they don't have the right tools or the right time, or maybe something's going on personally with them. If you can have conversation, for me, a lot can be worked out through communication. So that's number one. If there's just a poor culture and you really want to establish culture and shift and change, obviously you being the leader or the owner of your company, you have to be the role model for that. So once you establish that, know that there's probably going to be a weeding out process and that's okay as you shift into a more positive culture or the culture that you want. As a leader, you also need to put structures in place for yourself to fulfill on you fulfilling the culture. I'm sure we've all had experiences where either a company says they do this, but then the customer service person on the phone is definitely not that. Hmm. And so you have to portray and be the leader and exemplify the company
0: culture. Yeah, just great pearls of wisdom there. Kate Katie, I know you guys have written and just created a number of resources when it comes to vision and mission and brand awareness. I know that you guys were so grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful for you guys. Uh, You actually put together, uh, just took all those and put together a nice little packet for STC listeners. Where can we find that? And then where can we also learn more about the awesome work you guys are doing in the world?
2: Yes, it's our pleasure and we're so grateful to be on the podcast here today and have had so much fun talking with you about this. We could talk about it for like a week. We're so (laughs) passionate about it. So what we'll do is we'll send the links over to you so that you can have the links for the examples of vision, mission, culture from both of our private practices as well as our website, privatepracticestartup.com. And we'll also send you the link for the brand values assessment so that any of the listeners can go to your show notes page and easily download the assessment. And they'll be able to go through the experience of identifying their top seven values. And then after that, come back to it a few days later and identify their core values, the top three values that are most important to them, both personally and professionally.
0: That's awesome. I will definitely put that on the show notes page, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 141. Kate and Katie, I'm so grateful for you guys. Uh, Thank you again for doing this. Well,
1: we're grateful for you. And I know that you call your audience the Couchies. So Couchies, we're grateful for you listening today. And we hope that we've inspired some of you and we're happy to support you along your private practice journeys.
0: Awesome. Thanks
1: so much, Melvin.
0: You're so welcome. Have a great rest of your day. You too Hey, gang. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Katie and Kate, and I hope that it's giving you some new ideas in terms of how to think about the vision and the mission and the culture for your private practice. I feel like this is a topic that I think it's on the in the minds of many of us, but maybe we don't often know what to do in that moment or how to you know, practically use some of this information in our practices. And I hope today's podcast is giving you some good ideas in terms of how to do that and how to carry that forward. And I think one of the, the biggest takeaways from this podcast conversation that I had was the importance of finding some of these values and the mission of our practices early on in the private practice journey. I didn't get to expand on this uh, statement that uh, Katie made where she said, if you don't set the culture of your practice, your clients will set it for you. But that's such a good point because I think... I mean I think more than anything I think it just speaks to the responsibility that we have and and I think I agree with them I think for me what I've noticed is there is sometimes a gap in between deciding on private practice creating the website and the online profile and actually doing the marketing and so Like I said, I'm hoping that uh, today's episode is giving you some good ideas and some new ideas. Kate and Katie mentioned some resources and they put together articles and an assessment and all of those things. And you can find that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 141. I have a feeling we're going to have a really good conversation about this episode. And so I would love to have you join us in the Selling the Couch community. It's absolutely free to join. And you can join over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. If you're interested in just connecting with other colleagues and also thinking through what culture and mission and vision and all of those things might look like for your practice. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I'm so grateful for you. Take good care. Bye.